Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv. This is the Tuesday afternoon edition. We're glad you're able to join us today. And if you're coming in on the Zoom app, we'd like to hear from you using uh, the text uh, question Q&A box or use the chat window. Just click on those things that are in the app and text us your comments or questions as we go through our discussion today. If you're coming in on the Facebook page, Scott's Facebook page, I think, is the one we're broadcasting today. Use the comment box there. And so we'll be monitoring both channels. Glad you're able to join us. Uh, I'm Drew DeGrotto, your host. Let me bring in the panelists. Scott, our program director. How you doing, Scott? Are you there? Let me stop. There you go. I'm doing fine. Thank you. Good to see you. Stephen Browse, how are you doing, Stephen? Doing well. Good to see everybody. Yeah, good to see you. And Jonathan Sadler, good to see you. You're in a new location today, Jonathan, aren't you? Uh-oh. Jonathan? I don't think Jonathan hears me. I think he's frozen. He's in deep freeze. Jonathan is in deep freeze, and maybe he'll come back in a minute. Um, but we have an in interesting, I guess we haven't really done technical. Oh, there, Jonathan, you were there with us today? Uh, yeah, I'm back now. I had a okay. uh, brief connection issue. Okay, good. I like your new location. I was I was bragging about how your new location really looks wonderful. Okay, so Scott, why don't you take it over? We're going to be looking at uh, uh, the date and authorship of Luke and Acts. Yes, the date and authorship of Luke and Acts. And uh, well, first of all, why is it important that we know this? Or were you going to go over that? That is a good question. Uh, so somebody just described, Luke is, of course, one of the Gospels. And what position does Acts hold in the New Testament? Somebody briefly describe that. Would you well, say it's, it's like the history, the, the new movement as it's born on the day of Pentecost, and then the history of it and how, how, it, how it's coming together? And how does it tie into the Gospels, and how does it tie into the epistles? Well, there were some of the things that Jesus promised in the Gospels that come to be in the book of Acts, the giving of the Holy Spirit, the spreading of the gospel out to the Gentiles. And the epistles, really, most of them take place during the book of Acts. And it doesn't always tell us exactly when that is. But the book of Acts is kind of the hub of the New Testament. Um, all the teachings of Jesus and the things he said would happen are starting to happen. And all of the epistles are starting to be written and circulated in that book. I just realized that this is a very good timing when you brought this topic up. I didn't make the connection because we, we just recently started the study of Acts on our Sunday morning uh, Bible class. So so I don't think you answered the question yet, though. Why, why is this important to know this timing, the dates? Well, partly because, partly because it is so central to the New Testament. It's one of the Gospels and then a volume one that flows into volume two that shows what happens because the Gospels end with the resurrection or resurrection and ascension, what happens next? It tells us, and it relates specifically to some of the letters that Paul wrote to churches, uh, not to uh, all of them per se, because some were places Paul hadn't been like Colossae, but it relates to a lot of it. And uh, then there's this, here's a trivial question. Who produced more of the New Testament text than any other human author? Was it Peter, Paul, John, or Luke? Paul, I would... I would guess Paul, but I assume maybe it's probably Luke for our topic. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Are you talking quantity of content or number of letters? 
quantity of context, who produced yeah. more of the text That's, than that would be anybody else. Yeah. Uh, now, if, if you believe that Paul wrote Hebrews, it gets up there close to the same. Uh, I don't think Paul wrote Hebrews. Uh, but Luke is the, the, the most lengthy author in the New Testament, because both Luke and Acts are, are, are large, important books. Uh, so over a fourth of your New Testament was written by Luke, which is kind of remarkable. All right, so, but if you are going to study Luke with a friend of yours, and your friend does what people do sometimes, they Google, I want to see about Luke. And if you Google, lots of times you go to Wikipedia. And if you go to Wikipedia, here is what some, some of what your friend is going to currently find. Of course, it can be edited from time to time by people. But it's going to say this. The Gospel of Luke and Acts make up a two-volume work. Together, they account for 27.5% of the New Testament, the largest contribution by a single author. The author is not named in either volume. According to church tradition dating from the second century, who was the Luke named as a companion of Paul. And we can say, yep, 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 yep. That's not all your friend is going to read. When it gets to date and authorship, which is our topic for today, this is what your friend is going to read. Somebody read that for us, please. But a critical consensus emphasizes the countless contradictions between the count in Acts and the authentic Pauline letters. An example can be seen by comparing Acts accounts of Paul's conversion, uh, Acts 9, et cetera, et cetera, with Paul's own statement that he remained unknown to Christians in Judea after that event. Uh, really? Yeah. Now, I've got a whole separate PowerPoint just on that particular thing, looking at Acts 9 and Galatians 1. We're not going to take time to do that today, but let's knock it out of the ballpark real quickly anyway. In Acts 9, Paul goes in the basket over the wall, goes down to Jerusalem, and uh, Barnabas, who introduced, well, I answered, Barnabas introduced <laughs> And um, then, and he's going in and out with them in what city in Acts 9? In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. And, uh, and he's disputing with, with some of the, I think, Grecian Jews there maybe in the synagogue. And then the Jews are trying to kill him. And so the brethren send him away to where? Tarsus. Yeah. First Caesarea and then up to Tarsus. Uh, now, that's in Acts 9. But in Galatians, Paul says, I didn't go down to Jerusalem at first. When I did go down there, I was only down there how long? 15 days. Yeah, 15 days. And who were the apostles that I met? Peter. Peter and, and yeah, James, the Lord's brother. And then he makes this statement, but I was still unknown to the brethren of Judea. Yeah. And they're saying, see, look at the contradiction there. Wait a minute. Acts 9 said he was going in and out. Where? In Jerusalem. Jerusalem. In Galatians, he doesn't say, I was unknown to the brethren of Jerusalem. I was unknown to the brethren of Judea. Judea. It's a larger that's area. Larger area, right. But that's what your friend's going to read. And then he's going to read this. Somebody read that, please. The eclipse of the traditional attribution to Luke, uh, the companion of Paul, has meant that an early date for the gospel is now rarely put forward. Most scholars date the composition of the combined work to around 80 to 90 AD, although some others suggest 90 to 110 AD. All right. So 
the essence of this is who wrote the book? Not Luke is what it's saying. And when was it written? Not early. Okay. So that's what we're going to be responding to. We're going to be looking at the evidence for that Luke is the author and the evidence that his writings were in the early 60s. All right, so let's proceed. Luke acts evidence for authorship and date, that Luke is the author. And for dates, uh, obviously the book of Luke is written shortly prior to Acts because Acts start with saying the former mm -hmm. treaties I wrote. And I'm going to be arguing for a date of Acts in either 62 or 63, give or take just a little bit. Um, so for authorship, we're going to look at common historic attestation that supports Luke, the earliness of attestation supporting Luke, and then internal evidence. Then, uh, and let's just go ahead and get started on that. On date, we'll look at three other things, but we need to keep moving. So common historic attestation. So here's an early manuscript of Luke and the end of Luke and the beginning of John. And right there, it has the gospel according to Luke. And so it's not within the text of the epistle itself, but that title is put on there. And I believe that's one of the Bodmer papyri from around 200 AD. I just grabbed that image up a minute ago, but I believe that's the one that that is. Uh, early Christian writings mentioned some of the early writers that all attribute it to Luke. And, um, oh, we were supposed to, oh, well, there was supposed to be a chart here about the moratorium fragment. I won't go into all detail here because the chart's missing. If we see in a minute, we'll catch up. But it shows Luke being attributed that the, it was understood that Luke wrote both Luke and Acts like back around 170 AD at the time that that was written. Uh, any comments on that before we move ahead? All right. Who wrote the book of Acts? Uh, in the first book, it's of Acts 1, it says in the first book of Theophilus that I have dealt with that all Jesus began to do and teach. So what first book is he referring to? Well, he's referring to the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, and of course, we know they're both the same because they're both written to or patronized uh, and, and dedicated to who? Theophilus. Theophilus. Yeah, I probably used patronized there in the wrong direction. But being a patron, perhaps... <laughs> Uh, of Luke or he's writing it to Luke one way or the other and so it's addressed or dedicated to Theophilus uh, however uh, you, which way you would take that but to Theophilus and um, we see in both cases and the second book refers back to the first book in the first one Luke does he claim to be a witness no no he right. claims to have spoken with the witnesses right and of course, in fraudulent works, often a person will claim things they didn't do, claim to be people they didn't be. He doesn't claim to have been there during the ministry of Christ. He gathers information that's come to him from eyewitnesses, but he doesn't claim to be an eyewitness. Uh, here is the murder and fragment. Uh, I'm not going to take a long time on this, but what you're looking at there was handwritten in the six or seven hundreds, Okay. Uh, it was found in the 1700s, and it is a record of a prior text from back around 170 that was fragmentary, so part of it was missing. But we can date when the fragment was because of a chronological, chronological stamp in there. 
Here it is in the Latin, and you'll notice there, third book of the gospel, Luke, the doctor, okay? So in, the first part is missing that would have probably been referring to Matthew and Mark, but then it says the third book of the gospel is that according to Luke, Luke, the well-known physician. Uh, and then it says that he also wrote Acts of the Apostles for most excellent Theophilus he compiled. And uh, just widely known to have uh, uh, been there. Uh, but the way we can date this is there's a reference in this to somebody that recently died. And we know when that guy recently died in history. And so that was written back around 178. So we've got all of that. But now let's take a look at some internal uh, testimony. Uh, it, we know that Luke, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke wasn't there. But was Luke there for parts of the book of Acts? Yeah, yeah. starting, starting yeah. in chapter in, in, 16. Which chapter? Starting in chapter 16, whenever Paul is uh, on his way to, um, to Macedonia. Um, they stop in Troas, and, and Luke joins them there. The pronoun changes from they did this, they did that, to we um, went on. Exactly. And other than changing the pronoun, do, does he talk about himself? Does he say, and I, the doctor, you know, this is when Paul asked me. No. He very humble background. It just simply changed from, like, you might be talking to a friend about something you did with some people. Well, they were doing this, and they were doing this, and then we went over here. And that's what happens. And here's what's really, really fascinating to me. On the first missionary journey, you've got three sea voyages here, here, and here. Uh, Luke wasn't there, the author, for right now we'll just call him the author, uh, because he is unnamed in the text. Uh, it just says they went from place A to B, A to B, A to B, et cetera, et cetera. Second missionary journey, uh, they travel by land, they go, but then when they get here, it's we sailed. And then we arrived in Philippi, but then after that, as Paul leaves Philippi, it's they go down here, and the, they go over here. And then Paul leaves Silas and Timothy behind, and Paul goes on his own, and then he is at Athens, and then uh, goes to Corinth, and then with Aquila and Priscilla, they sail over here, and then he sails down there. And then on the third journey, uh, Paul uh, travels up through here, and he went through there, and they went through there. But starting right here, where our author, we last saw him, our author is back on the scene again. And we uh, sail over to here. Briefly, separated from Paul here is he went across land. We came around in the ship, picked him up, and then we, 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 all the way home. I always have to say that. Um, so on the shipwreck, it's also we. Now, here's what's fascinating about this. It's just the mark of the firsthand witness in these sections uh, that we're going to look at in a minute, how he described the sea voyages. But we can also figure out who the author is by a process of elimination. When he gets to Rome, he writes some letters. What are the prison letters that Paul writes? Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon, right? Yeah. So he writes these, and then later, uh, apparently after being released in another rest, Second Timothy be written later, but you've got these that are originally written, these prison epistles, 
And does he ever mention people that were with him there? Yeah, usually at the end of the book, um, he'll mention people that also send greetings along with him to the churches. Exactly. Um, so when you put all of those together, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, you end up with kind of a long list of people that he sends greetings from. So if he's a prisoner over here at Rome, and he's writing to you in Ephesus, or say Colossians or Philippians or whatever, and he says, so-and-so has, says hello, greetings from so-and-so, that's somebody over here with him. And so let's put some things together. The person that wrote Acts traveled with Paul all the way from Philippi to here. And two years later, when Paul is a prisoner, gets sent on a ship to Rome, he's two years later still with Paul and travels all the way with him to here. So does this seem to be a pretty loyal companion? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if he's riding from here and telling about the people that are with him, wouldn't we expect to find our author listed here? Yeah, I think that's a fair assumption. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're going to do process of elimination. We're not going to go through all of these because it takes too long. But if you'd like, you can contact Drew or whatever, me, and we'll, we'll get a copy of these notes to you. What we're going to do here is do kind of a little process of elimination thing. So in Ephesians, it mentions Tychicus. In Philippians, I'm just going to start putting the names up here instead of taking time to read them. But these are people that were with him as he wrote these letters. So at first glance, we might say, man, you know, Luke X could have been written by anybody. Look at all the people that were with him. Then in 2 Timothy, later, we're going to have these people mentioned as well. Uh, but wow, that's a lot of people. If they were all with Paul in Rome, and from the text, we simply know that the author went to Rome with Paul, might not it be any of them? No, that's not so, and here's why. Let's we're going to divide this into evidence points to, evidence points away from, evidence eliminates. Let's start with 2 Timothy 4.10. Somebody read that for us, please. We're going to start undramatically, and then it's going to get more dramatic. Second Timothy 4.10, or go ahead, uh, Jonathan. Uh, yeah, it says, um, For Demas, in love of this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Okay, so Demas forsook him. He's mentioned previously in another text, and th this time he says, He forsook me. Now, does that prove he couldn't have written? No. No. Uh, does it make us think, oh, it must have been him that wrote it? No. <laughs> no. But as loyal as our author is to Paul here, does it seem likely that it would probably be the one that abandons Paul? Early? No, probably not. It's probably, probably somebody that's would, with him. Yeah, I would put that one, those references to Demas, file them away and the evidence points away from. But then, like in Philippians chapter 2 and 4, we have Epaphroditus. And from that text, we know how he got to Rome. Why did Epaphroditus go to Rome? Did he go to Rome with Paul on the prison voyage? No, he was delivering help from the Philippians to Paul while he was in prison. Yeah, as a response to the fact that Paul's in prison, and so they're sending something to help him. So he goes at a different time from a different place, so not Epaphroditus. All right, uh, Philemon mentions Onesimus. 
And who, when and who was Onesimus converted by? He was converted by Paul whenever he was away from um, Colossae. So, yeah. And uh, looks like it was converted in Rome. Mm-hmm. And so he's a runaway slave that's come to Rome and is converted by Paul, um, if I'm reading the text correctly. Uh, and so this is not the person that had been there for years and sailed with him. This is a runaway slave. So it's not him. Uh, how about this one? Uh, I'm not going to go into the reasons why, just for sake of time. You can look these up. Uh, Mark, let's do that one real quick. Um, Mark is on the first journey, remember? And then departed. Does it say, and we went to Papas, and then I went back to Jerusalem? No. Mm-hmm. No, it's they went and he went. So it's not Mark. Uh, and then... Uh, I'm not going to take time to go through these. This one's a really great one here. Somebody read Acts 20, verse 4. Acts 20, verse 4 is listing the people who came with them. It says, Sopater the Berean, son of Purus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secondus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. Okay, now this is not the journey to Rome. This is a journey from going from Corinth back up into Macedonia at the end of the third missionary journey, headed up to Philippi. And so we got Tychicus and Timothy and Aristarchus, right? And they're all with Paul. And then they get up to northern Macedonia, and then they're going to get to Philippi and leave there. Read the next couple of verses. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days, we came to them at Troas where we stayed for seven days. So the whole group doesn't leave Philippi at the same time. Who went second? Uh, Luke and (laughs) our, our author and Paul, who went first? All the people on the list. So unless our author is schizophrenic, (laughs) (laughs) those guys are out and look who we have left it's gotta be Luke and notice he's uh, he's also referred to there when Paul will say only Luke is with me and uh, he'll talk about Luke the beloved physician and he's referred to three times so all that fits to help it goes along with the historic and early evidence where everybody said it was Luke it's Luke any comments on thoughts on that before we proceed? All right. Um, EJ says, very interesting chart. Oh, very good. Um, now, here we go. Um, internal evidence. Yeah, yeah. All right, so now we're going to get to date. Uh, the first thing I want us to look at is that it really was a companion of Paul a companion, Paul, who traveled with him as early as like 49 AD to as late as, you know, 60 AD in in travel, all right? And then there's the terminus point of the text. Where does the book of Acts end? And the persecution status at the time of writing. Is it from the Jews or from the Romans at the time of writing? Uh, and so I think those things are going to sh- uh, show us that the date is going to be 62, 63. 
I'm not going to take time to read all these. You can look this up. Sir William Mitchell Ramsey was educated in liberal theology that the book of Acts was written like later in the second century uh, uh, or something. But as he studied, he began to be very, very impressed and talks about the author ranks being among writers first rank in four levels of historians, as he said, talks about he used to believe something different, but it just, the, the his studies in the area convinced him of uh, a lot of just great historical uh, truth in the book. And here's what I want to focus in on. Details of a firsthand witness in the Sea Voyages and Acts. Uh, we, we earlier showed those journeys of travel, and we saw that sometimes Paul went by boat when Luke wasn't there, and sometimes Luke was there. And of course, it says they or he when Luke isn't there, and we when he is there. But there's another difference, too. What's the other difference? On the occasions, on the occasions whenever it's we, um, there are a lot of details like stopping points and different ports that are made along the, the path of the sea voyage. But with the they, whenever the author is not with them, it's much less detailed. Yeah, it tells you where he went from and to, but it doesn't tell the wind, which island they went past, you know, uh, how many days it took. Uh, and when, when Luke's there, he even tells you sometimes the name of the ship or where it's from. So let's take a look at this again here. Uh, let me click forward. That shouldn't have been there. Sorry about that. Mm, didn't mean to duplicate that. All right, there we go. In the they sections, here's pretty much what you get. And imagine Paul later telling Luke about where he went. Well, then we went to here. And he's going to tell about preaching the gospel. And then we went to here. And then we went to tell about hearing the gospel. So Luke's account is, they sailed to Cyprus. And they came to Perga. They sailed to Antioch. They brought him to Athens. They sailed for Syria and to Ephesus. He set sail from Ephesus, landed at Syria. But watch when he's there. Somebody read this one. Setting sail, therefore, from Troas, we made a straight course to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. Okay, Samothrace is a little island that they would have gone by, and their course went right by. Um, somebody read this one. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them to Troas in five days. Okay, uh, so earlier he'd recorded Paul's trip, and it didn't have the detail about the days, but this time he's in the boat with him. And then look at this one. Somebody read that. But we going before to the ship set sail for Assos, there intending to take in Paul, for so he had appointed, intending himself to go by land. And we met him at Assos. We took him in and came to Mytilene. And sailing from thence, we came to the following day over against Chios. Next day, we touched at Samos, and the day after, we came to Miletus, where Paul had determined to sail past Ephesus, that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening, if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost. Uh, that sounds like a lot of detail there, Scott. Yeah. And then here's one. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but notice we set sail, straight course to Kos, next day to Rhodes, then to Pataro, found a ship on the way to Phoenicia. By the way, it's interesting, ship travel back then was not like air travel today. You know, you get air travel today and you have to have a layover here and pick up another plane, but you have it all arranged ahead of time. 
they didn't have you know orbits <laughs> you know <laughs> internet travelocity it was more like catching taxis in new york city you'd go from here to here on a boat and then you'd find another one but boats were constantly going back and forth uh we found a ship crossing over to phoenicia went aboard set sail came inside of cyprus leaving on the left hand came to tire uh talk about people coming to the beach and bidding about and then 27 the whole chapter is about the shipwreck trivia question how many times did paul suffer shipwreck uh was it four, four yes right? in second corinthians he said three times i suffered shipwreck but was second corinthians was written during the third missionary journey before the the the, the, the last one and how many of those does Luke describe? How many of the shipwrecks? Just one. Which one? The one he was on. <laughs> yeah, the one he was on. Fascinating things happened there. Uh, and he tells about the wind and the weather and the Lord promised to Paul that, uh, um, that everybody's going to survive, but they're going to have to, the ship will be lost. They'll uh, be on this island. And of course, those things happen. If you haven't read that lately, it's, a, it's really, really fascinating. And I'm glad it's there because it shows we've got a firsthand witness. All right. Uh, oh, there we go. I've lost my cursor. There it is. All right. So I, I think it's pretty obvious our author was there with Paul during those times. Okay. So if he was with Paul from 49, traveling with Paul from 49 into, and, and uh, 30, then, uh, there, I'm losing. Okay then he's, he's, he's a contemporary with Paul at those times. That helps us somewhat on the day. Then we have this. When does the book of Acts end? With Paul in prison or house arrest in Rome, but he's still alive. Yeah. And when Paul writes Philippians, he's under arrest in Rome, and he's hoping to be freed and looks to be freed, but he knows that might not happen. And so in chapter one, he said, you know, you know, he, he's torn between the two. If they kill me, I'll get to go be with the Lord. If they don't kill me, I'll get to continue to help you. Uh, and he thinks he will be freed. But then he says in chapter two, if my blood is spilt, I want you to rejoice. His fate is unknown in Philippians because it hadn't happened yet. And how do we end the book of Acts? Without it happening. Yeah. His fate is unknown. Now, you could say, well, Luke ends with the ascension of Jesus. That doesn't mean that nothing happened after that or that Luke had to write it right then. True. But if you're giving a hit, who, who ends up being the main, hum, the main uh, character in the history in the book of Acts? Primarily Paul, especially in the latter part of the book. Yeah. Peter heavily in the first, and Paul especially, then from like 13 on, dominating. There's about to be some big stuff with Paul. There's a first defense, and then in a later apparent arrest, and then a later execution. And isn't persecution one of the themes of the book of Acts? Yeah, absolutely. Does he give a lot of attention to the martyrdom of Stephen? Yeah. Yep. Chapter, two chapters, really. Yeah, yeah, like a chapter in hand. Uh, does he talk about the martyrdom of James? Yep. Mm -hmm. Why would he leave out the martyrdom of Paul? At the time of so, writing, it probably hadn't happened. 
I, I believe that's right. Uh, so I would compare it to this. If you're at a yard sale and you see a book on U.S. presidents and uh, maybe you want to get that for your kid and you pick it up and it looks to be in pretty good condition and, you know, it's got nice artwork. It's not all scribbled up in or chewed up by a dog. And but you flip through it and you notice it starts with George Washington and it ends with uh, Richard Nixon. And that's the last one in the book. Does that give you an idea of when the book was written? Yeah, during the presidency of Richard Nixon. <laughs> yeah. It's, and, and if it doesn't mention Watergate, that, you know, Nixon hadn't resigned yet. And Ford has not been appointed. And Carter has not been elected, et cetera, et cetera. Because so if the person that wrote the book on presidents would have put that in there if that happened yet. Now, if you pick up the book and the last president mentioned was President Obama. When was that it's book? Much, it's a much more recent book. Yeah, yes, a lot more recent, but they wouldn't have stopped there and not mentioned, you know, and then the next election, et cetera. So the fact that it ends here with such important things coming up that relate to the book, martyrdom, persecution, and all that, and it's not there, I believe points to the fact Paul hasn't died yet. And then there's this, and I think this is really significant. Um, in 64 AD, what happens in Rome, the city where Paul is a prisoner? It's a great fire of Rome. There's a great fire. Tacitus, the Roman historian, tells us about this. And he's writing, what is it, 114, 115, 117 AD, I can't remember exactly. And he's giving a history of the Caesars in the annals of Tacitus. And in one of those annals, he's discussing Nero, who is the Caesar at this time. And he points out, what ha who did people blame when Rome burned? There was rumors going around that Nero was responsible for this fire. Yes, yes. Um, and so Nero, to get rid of the rumors that he caused the fire, Tacitus said he blamed the fire on a group of people that were hated anyway. And who was that? The Christians. Christians. Yes. So he needed a scapegoat. And so he wants the blame off of him. He blamed it on the Christians and he began persecuting them. What were some of the, so the fire was in 64 AD and Nero begins persecuting Christians in Rome. That doesn't mean persecution is out throughout the empire yet, but in Rome. And what does Tacitus say they were doing to the Christians in Rome? In some cases they would uh, soak them in oil and wrappings and then put them on. He says they were put burn. in like animal skins. And, 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 you know, killed by other animals and stuff. You remember the type of activities they would do in the Colosseum. Mm -hmm. And he talks about that he would put tar or pitch or something on their bodies and hang them up and light them on fire to light his gardens at night. Mm -hmm. So this is, uh, this, the fire room was 64 A.D., uh, Nero dies, is it 66? Nero will die. I'm thinking I might have that date a little bit wrong. Um, uh, but 
this fire that he starts, but that leads to him causing his persecution, 64. And he's doing this terrible things to these Christians. You, when you're reading Romans 16, you know that long list of brethren that Paul greets, Aquila, Priscilla, and all those people? Some of those people would have been the people, no doubt, that ended up being burned alive and killed by Nero. Stephen. Nero died in 68. Okay, thank you. Thank you. So when you're reading Romans 16, those people are maybe just like seven years away from what Nero's going to be doing to them. Some of them may have been attacked and killed by beasts for entertainment and, and lit on fire to like Nero's garden. Now, Luke describes a lot of persecutions and, and, and some gruesome details and, and, and some horrible things. That's completely missing from the book of Acts. And here's something else. Who's usually the cause of the persecutions during the time that Acts is written? Usually it's coming from the Jews. Mm-hmm. Yes. And later we know, uh, one of the early writers talks about even when the Romans were persecuting people, sometimes I think it was the Jews that would collect the wood to burn them with. So later, you've got acquisition both from Jews and Romans. But at the time of Luke Acts, the bad guys, the ones that are doing the persecuting are the Romans. Now, that does, I mean the Jews. That doesn't mean that there wasn't stuff from the Romans. Luke tells about Pilate, you know, being the governor that has Jesus crucified. Um, in Acts 4, the, the brethren are praying and talking about how it, back in the Psalms, the, the rulers united themselves against the Holy One, and, and they say, and thus Herod and Pilate did this. So there's blame laid where blame is appropriate, but throughout Luke, how do you see, what's the status of persecution in relationship to Jews and Romans throughout Luke Acts? Mainly the Jews, not a lot of Roman persecution at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so look at this. Uh, dating Acts. Luke has to be prior, because Acts says the former one. I think it was shortly prior, but prior. Acts ends at 62 with Paul still prisoner. Stop there. We've already covered that. But now we're to this point, the persecution status at the time of writing. Centurions and Luke Acts. Uh, if you're in our audience... Uh, here's a trivia question for you. How many centurions does Luke talk about? Eight minimum. Uh, and look how positive the references are. The first one, uh, Luke 7, the Jewish leaders come and say, this man is worthy that you do this for him. Uh, he's the one that built our synagogue. And of course, Jesus says, I haven't seen so great a faith as this in all Israel. He's also mentioned in uh, Matthew, but it's Luke that brings out the detail that he didn't build the synagogue. It's Luke that mentions at the cross, the centurion says, certainly this man was innocent. And then in Acts 10, a whole chapter and a half to Cornelius, who is the centurion who becomes the, 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 the turning point to where the gospel now goes to the uncircumcised Gentiles. And, of course, he's described as well-respected among the Jews and such. Just so and it's clear, though, Acts Scott, 21, Scott, just so it's clear, Centurion is a Roman commander. He's a military man over, what, 100 men, right? right. Yes. yes. 
and most of the centurions don't become Christians. Most of the centurions don't end up believing in Jesus. You see this here in Luke 7, Luke 21, you see men with faith in Jesus, but that's not going to be most of them. But most of them are doing what, and they're, they're operating, they're enforcing Roman law as a police state. And they're doing what people enforcing police state laws should do, basically. What do we look for our police for? Protection, help. Yeah. Yeah. And so in Acts 21, when there's a mob of people trying to rip Paul apart and kill him, the Roman soldiers do what? Save him from the mob, but put him in chains to go up and find out what's going on here. What did you do that's causing all this, right? So, but they do rescue him from the mob. And then as he goes up the stairs, Paul says, can I say something to the people? Does the centurion let him? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. He lets him give his defense, yeah. And then in Acts 22, they get him up there, and they're about to beat him, and Paul says, can you do that to a Roman citizen? And they say, oh, you're a Roman citizen? How? I had to pay a lot of money. Paul said, I was Roman born. And they what? They respect his Roman citizenship. And then Paul's nephew comes and tells Paul about the plot, and Paul tells the centurion, take this young man to the tribune. He has something to tell him. What does the centurion do? Honors Paul's favor. He does what the prisoner requested. And he takes him there, yeah. Um, and then when they find out about the plot, the tribune tells centurions, plural, get Paul to safety. And with a bunch of soldiers, the Romans get Paul out of there so he will be safe. He's still under arrest. He's still a prisoner. But they're doing, you know, the role that should be done. Acts 24, they get to Caesarea, and the first governor there, Felix, right? Is it Festus or Felix is first? I always get him confused. Felix. He tells the centurion, give Paul some liberty. Let his friends come in and see him. So, of course, the centurion would be doing that. And then in Acts 27, it's a centurion that's taking Paul as a prisoner to Rome. And Luke mentions he treated Paul kindly. He let him go ashore and greet brethren and stuff. And then at the shipwreck, when other people are saying, let's kill the prisoners, Julius says, no, don't do that, and says he was wanting to save Paul's life. Is this, so during this time, are the, the there, some are godly, some are just doing their job, but you found safety in the Romans protecting you from the Jews. And of course, why did Paul go to Rome? The Jews were trying to get him to come back to, by the way, am I frozen up or are y'all frozen up? No, uh, no, no one's frozen. I don't think anyone's frozen. Okay. Um, so we're winding up here. Um, the, the reason Paul appeals to Caesar is because the Jews are trying to get Paul sent back to Jerusalem and they want to, you know, find ways of doing him in. And Paul doesn't want to be, he says, you can't give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. And he goes there, and the book ends with him as a prisoner. We don't know what's going to happen yet. Luke didn't know what was going to happen yet. Paul didn't know what was going to happen yet. But is this the type of book you would write in the middle of a persecution where Romans are killing Paul, burning the Christians at Rome, and feeding them to wild animals? No, this is the opposite, totally opposite. It's written at a time where the Romans are still, not that they don't mess up in Philippi, did the Romans beat Paul unjustly? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Paul points it out. And sometimes they're, you know, 
kind of uncaring. Galileo said, I don't want to hear that stuff. You know, you give it yourself. And Claudius says, ah, get the Jews all out of Rome and Rome and Priscilla have to leave. It's not a, a fantasy of, oh, the Romans are always perfect people, but it's written at a time in a, 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 where the persecution is not from the Romans and you can count on them. If, if you're in Rome and Paul has just been killed and your friends and brethren around you have been eaten by animals and, and burned alive, you're not going to pick the same details, you know, here in a book where you're showing where persecution, you know, happened. Jonathan. Um, so just with a minute or two left. So if, if Luke wrote Acts, Luke Acts, and then he wrote it at an early date, why is that so important to know that it was early, that Luke is the one that wrote it? What, what big difference does that make? Well, um, and when you, when you get to these critics, they're going to be saying that, you, you, you know, these are unreliable. These, lots of times people say, you know, the, a lot of these things are just legends and made up and, and that type of thing. Uh, and, and they will say that Luke didn't write it. So if you're wanting to study the Bible with your friend, say, let's look at the Gospel of Luke. And he reads, oh, this isn't even written by Luke. Oh, and it was written maybe, you know, 190 or 100 AD or 80 or 110 or whatever by somebody else and it's made up, then he's not going to be very interested in reading that. But if you can find out, no, this really was written by the guy that was with Paul. The guy that was with Paul, when he told the centurion, I, you know, I, the Lord has let me know. He had a, a one time, maybe the Lord spoke to him one time, an angel. I don't remember now which is which, but he said, we're going to lose, you know, we're going to be cast on a certain island. Nobody's going to die. Here's what we need to do. We will lose the ship. And then that happens. Luke's there. He's watching that. And that's the guy that wrote this. And, and so we have, here's who wrote it. And here's, and all of this together, because he was contemporary with Paul, and it ends, oh yeah, Paul's Felix and Festus, uh, that switch happened around 59 uh, AD, uh, roughly give or take a year. And so he gets to Rome around 60 AD, and then Acts 20, he spent two years in Rome as a prisoner at that point. So that's why I'm putting here, I would say 62. But 62, maybe 63 at the latest, but before 64. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Uh, anything else that you guys want to bring up uh, about any of that or any last final points you'd like to make before we end? That's compelling. And especially when you view our current skeptic culture, um, sometimes arguments get thrown out that just assume, oh, everybody says that Luke is written later. And when you really look at the evidence, there is such a good case to be made for an early date for these writings that give us reason to believe that they're written by who they say they're written by. These things are real events with real people that are recorded for us. And the more that we let the evidence stack up in favor of the scripture, the more confidence we can have. This is from God and this is uh, worth trusting in. Mm -hmm. And it's talking about real people, real places, not made up fictitious stories. And maybe, maybe a good way to end would be remembering what Luke wrote to Theophilus in his first one, in chapter one. I, I made an, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, I made an accurate record of these things so that you can know the truth of what mm -hmm. is happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
All right. Well, thanks for going through that with us, um, Scott. Uh, for our audience, uh, if you have any questions or you'd like uh, maybe the slides or, or some further discussion on that topic, the authorship of Luke Acts or, uh, or any other questions that you might have, you can get in touch with any of us uh, at BibleQuest.tv. Submit your question or your comment uh, into that, and we'll be happy to get back with you uh, and discuss anything further. Yeah, Scott. One last important point. I don't believe we have to know the date and the authorship or either of every book in the New Testament at all. Uh, who wrote the book of Job and what year? We don't know. We don't know, don't need to know. But it helps to know sometimes who wrote it and where they wrote it. It's kind of like in Luke chapter five, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. He said, how can he do that? He says, well, how can I do this? Get up and walk, boom. <laughs> so one they could see, one they couldn't see. The things you can see, you know, it, it, if there's only things you can't see, you don't have something, there's some, there's, you don't have the anchors. So faith involves believing things we can't see. But there should be reasons, like Jesus said, don't just believe because I say it, believe because of this and this. So we don't have to know who wrote every book, uh, who wrote the book of Hebrews, you know. I believe it was before the temple was destroyed, but we don't know for sure who wrote it. But it does help, especially since this is the biggest section by author of the New Testament in such a sober part. I think it's a great gift that we can see who wrote it. Mm -hmm. Thanks yep. a lot. Yep. So uh, if you all have any other further questions uh, in our audience or anything else that any of us could help you with um, in discussing, um, we'd be happy to do that outside of the show. Um, you can reach out to us and we'd be happy to get in touch with you over Zoom or, or uh, any other means through email. If you do have something you'd like us to discuss or a question you'd like us to answer on the show, you can submit that to BibleQuest.tv as well. We've been going through difficult Bible texts. If you have one of those you'd like us to discuss, we'd be happy to do that. Or any other Bible questions that you might have, um, you can submit that and uh, we can get to those uh, as we all work through trying to uh, discern the truth in the Word of God. Thank you all for your attendance uh, and your participation in the comments and questions um, that you guys give us. And we will see you all, Lord willing, next Tuesday at 2 p.m.